God, it's in this place today that we just surrender to you. We ask you to move in our hearts and in our minds. This is about you and for you. God, I pray that in this place, no matter how we came in, we'll have soft hearts. Keep our minds open. God, we ask that your Holy Spirit will move in us. That God, you'll show us incredible truths about who you are and who we are in you. And I pray that every single one of us, we leave here more in love with you than when we came. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen, church. You can go ahead and have a seat. Welcome to Church Project. Uh, man, there's a lot of smiley people out here today. Hi. How you doing? I just, just kind of want to look around. Look around. I mean, this is, this is pretty neat. You know, God is, is building his church. He isn't doing incredible things here. If you're a first-time guest, the way that, that we kind of operate and that we've been operating is we've been going through the book of Luke. And so if you do not have a Bible, um, we would like you to, to have a Bible. And so on the lamps on each side is a Bible. And um, if you just would like one, raise your hand and we'll, we'll bring it to you. It's our new ESV Bibles. Pretty excited about that. Uh, some of you are like, I really don't care. It's a Bible, so we're good. Um, but, but it's important to have the Word of God in front of you today. We've been walking through the book of Luke for uh, a couple years. And now we're going to land in Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 40 is what we're going to look at today. So... As we, as we land in this, this passage right here, this is three and a half years of Jesus walking on the earth-ish. And he's been doing incredible things. He has a lot of disciples. He's, he's been healing. He's been um, doing all these miracles. He's been making a lot of people upset. That's for sure. And there's people that are completely excited about who Jesus is, and, and they think, especially if they're Jews at this time, that Jewish people, they're thinking at this time that, you know, this is going to be the Messiah. Like, this is going to be the come, this is going to be the man that comes in and sets us free from the oppression of Rome, destroys them, annihilates them, and sets us free. So they're so excited about this Jesus guy. And this is one of his last stops before he hits Jerusalem. In fact, he's walking to Jerusalem, just steps away from Jerusalem in this passage right here. And, and so, if you would, church, put yourself in, in this setting. You've been following Jesus. You think that this is the Messiah, he's going to set you free. You're excited. There's excitement building. Like, you're about to go into one of the coolest times of your life, and you know it. Like, you have goosebumps. Like, your team is making the Super Bowl, whatever it may be. Like, this setting right here, there's so much excitement about, around this passage and about these verses in this time period. And so as we go through this and we begin to talk about this, just kind of have that mindset as we read this. So let's, let's read Luke 19, verse 28 through 40. This is how it starts. It says, and when he had said these things, Jesus, when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, or Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, verse 30, saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. 
So those who were sent went ahead and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying it, the colt, its owners said to him, to them, why are you untying the colt? They said to Jesus, the Lord has need of it. Verse 35. As they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As, the, as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So I sit with my grandpa, who is a retired pastor. I don't know if you can ever be a retired pastor. Started many churches, and he was a pastor for many years. And and I sit with him weekly, and we go through these passages ahead of time. And we just kind of talk about the beauty of what's coming up in these passages. And and he kind of teaches, because I'm a young whippersnapper. So he teaches me what's going on. And and, and, uh, this week, he went like double verses. There there was like twice as many verses that he went through. And I said, I'm I'm, I'm not that smart. So we're only going to tackle to verse 40 right now. Uh, It's such an incredible, exciting time right here that I want us to just kind of bask in this moment as a church. And I want us to really just take in these verses as what's happening and how does this affect our lives today? So if you look at, at verse 28 and verse 29... I like how Jesus said after he had said these things, he's, he's, le- he's linking previously what he had said in the parable right before. And if you were here last week and, and, and you remember what we talked about, uh, if not, you can kind of skim and look back right now or later on. But in the parable right before, what was Jesus talking about? He's talking about a nobleman. He's talking about this nobleman that's going to go to a far country. And he's leaving us with these little minas. And people are laughing at me because last week I, it was pointed out to me that I said minas in like Nacho Libre. So I, I apologize for that. I was like, no, I did it. And then I listened to the podcast and I totally did. I, I pulled a Nacho Libre last week. So sorry. Watch the movie. It's funny. But he told this parable about this, this, this nobleman that went away. Don't laugh at me, Chad. Come on, man. Get up here. And he, and he says, I'm going away and I'm leaving you with your life and, and I'm going to return and I'm going to see what you've done with your life. And, and he's talking about himself. He's given this parable saying, I am the nobleman. I am the king. I'm going away for a time and when I come back, I'm going to look at you guys in the eyes as your church and, and I'm going to just look at you and I'm going to love on you and I'm going to see what have you done with your life that I've given you here on earth. Like, as his church, as his disciples... We have the biggest story in us. It's because our lives have been changed. And it's the, it's the gospel message. It's why Jesus came to earth. Like he came and he says, man, you, you, you guys messed up. You've chosen to go against me from the beginning of time with Adam and Eve and their sin in our life. And every single one of us, we've messed up. Would you agree? Because we messed up, we deserve separation from God, the holy king, the nobleman. We deserve that separation. But God goes away, and we know the gospel story, and we're about to get into it even a little bit more here as he walks into Jerusalem. But Jesus says, I love man. I've created man so much. I love him. 
And so I'm going to go, and I'm going to send my son, and he's going to die on the cross, and I'm going to take every one of those wrong things, those sins. I'm going to take them on myself on the cross, and I'm going to die for every single man and for every single action. That's beauty. And as his church, we're the people that God has been chasing through all of time and all of space, looking us in the eyes and prodding our hearts. And as his church, we're the ones that said, God, we surrender our control of our lives to you because you are the nobleman. You are the one that loves. You are the one that saves. And when we get that, and when we understand that we have been saved, and when we understand that God has imparted himself and us and given us his love and given us freedom and broken the bondage of chain and sin in our life, we can celebrate. And as these disciples, they're walking into Jerusalem, they're celebrating, they're walking with the man Jesus. They don't quite know exactly what they're celebrating, but they're celebrating and they're walking with the man Jesus. Well, on this side of the story, we know why Jesus was celebrating, don't we? He was about to defeat death for every single one of us, for every man and woman, child, kid that calls on the name of the Lord. And that's exciting. So as we worship, I, always, I often say this, this worship band, aren't they phenomenal? It's incredible. I, I love worshiping. I love the, the lyrics of the songs. I love the music of the songs. Because as Christ followers, we understand what we're set free from. We understand what Jesus has done for us, and we understand how much he loves us. So how can we not say, I believe in God the Father, the one who set us free? How can we not sing these songs with joy? And we see this passage right here. His disciples are singing with joy as they march into Jerusalem. They might not know the full depths of which joy they should be singing for, but they're singing with joy. Uh, So I like how Jesus is teaching man. He's trying to teach in every way possible. He just gave us that parable about the nobleman going away and coming back. He's been walking for three and a half years, and, and he's been zigzagging across the country, and he's been timing it perfectly so that when he comes into Jerusalem, he's coming in at this time. He's coming in during the Passover time when thousands of people are coming to the temple to worship God. Like, this is climactic, and this isn't just, like, just casual. God has planned this. Jesus has planned this from the beginning of time, and we get to see even more how purposed Jesus was during this time. He's a mile and a half out or a half mile out from Jerusalem with these two towns. If you kind of look at the map and study the geography of, of, of that place, it's about a mile and a half or a half mile out from Jerusalem. And the Mount Olive lies directly east of Jerusalem. It's about 2,660 feet above sea level. So Jesus, his disciples are looking down on Jerusalem. Has anyone ever been in this area, been able to go visit? Grandpa has, of course. <laughs> One day I would love to. I would love to go to Jerusalem. I would love to go just walk where Jesus walked and the disciples walked. And Picture that. We have technology now where you can go on the internet and look at these videos and all this stuff. And I did that on some of these towns, just looking at Jerusalem and seeing the, what it looked like. And, and so this is kind of the setting. To go to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, you would head west down and go through the the Kidron Valley. And then you would enter into the temple area, which is called the Eastern Gate. And I think it's interesting as we look at verse 28 and 29, especially at the end of 29, um, he said he sent the disciples in the pair of twos. So if you're kind of a a Bible guy, 
or woman or study or scholar, or you've read it before, one of the things you've noticed is that disciples seem to always go in pairs. You know, it's not like, hey, go out by yourself. You're going to get destroyed and annihilated. And so if you have some time and you want to study something really cool this week, start, start, start looking at why did Jesus send people out in pairs? Why did disciples go out in pairs? And just start reading the Bible and stuff. Pretty neat stuff. But he sends these disciples out in pairs. Then we get to verse 30 through 34. And he says this, saying, um, go to the village in front of you, wh- where on entering it you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever set. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying this colt? And they said to him, the Lord has need of it. Jesus was without question identifying himself as the Messiah. Without question. He's confirming much of the Christology that that these people have been taught their entire life. He is fulfilling promises that are thousands of years old, prophecies that are thousands of years old. And so if you're a Jewish person at this time, you know that Jesus is coming in and he's the promised Messiah. He's from the Davidic lineage. He's entering Jerusalem as, the, as Israel's one true king. And here we go, and we see that even the prophecy that's going to be told in, that was told in Zechariah 9, 9, that this king would enter in on a cult is being fulfilled. Every promise, every prophecy being fulfilled through Jesus. And he's being so systematic about this. Luke, as we read this book, Luke wants us, he wants us to know that Jesus is indeed the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. That Jesus, in whom they believe, that we believe, is truly the Son of God, without question. So, as you look at this cult, some of the commentaries, some people will think, well, this was prearranged. You know, Jesus' disciples had prearranged for that cult to be there. Possibly. Maybe not. I don't know. I wasn't there, were you? I don't know. Was it prearranged or not? I, I, I have no idea. I know that the prophecy is being fulfilled, though. And I know as the people come up and, and they look at this, um, this cult, it is fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah uh, 9.9, which says that the Messiah would come riding in on a young cult, which is very interesting because kings of that time didn't come in on cults. They came on raging horses. A colt, when someone enters in on a colt, that's a humble stance. And Jesus, his whole entire life, he's showing that a true king is going to be humble, is going to be a servant. And here, once again, in one of the final days of his life, he comes in on a colt, not a raging horse, with a sword saying, I am king. I think it's neat, if you look in verse uh, 33. As they were untying the colt, its owners, owners, did you catch that? His owners said to them, plural, this is a poor community. Multiple owners of this colt said to him, it's funny how sometimes the small things of scripture can just grab your heart. And sorry, you're on my journey this week because this grabbed my heart. The owners of this cult. Why did that grab my heart? 
Jesus has been zigzagging across this, this country for three and a half years. He's fulfilling all these prophecies. And what does he do even here? He shows me and he shows you that he's very purposed in what he's going to do. And he can use anyone and everyone to do incredible things. The owners of this cult, these poor people, they're not the rich, they're not the powerful, and they're not the mighty. They're average people. I can relate to this, can you? Like God is using average people. This is his story. He's been doing it from the beginning of time. He looks at us and he says, I know that you messed up. I know that you're not the greatest. I know that you're not this, but I love you and I'm using you. And because of that, you are my child. You are my king. You are my sons. You are my daughters. If you call on my name, he uses the average person to fulfill the world's greatest love story. So as they come in, they find this. They say, why are you doing this? Why are you taking our cult? And says, the Lord has need of it. Do you believe, this is a good question for all of us. Do you believe that God is at work in the small details of your life? As in this, do you, do you believe that? Do you believe that, okay, during this time, obviously, God was working, like he was doing things. He was fulfilling prophecy. He even, to the cult, lined this thing up. Like, that's small, minute details, right? He's fulfilling it. But do you believe that God still moves this way? In our lives and who we are today, do you think he's like this today? Do you believe, as in Psalms 139 says, and some of us, we need to memorize Psalms 139, do you believe that you are knit together on purpose? As we sit here today, that God made you and knit you together on purpose, exactly the way that you are. Do you believe that? Do you believe that your days are ordained by God? Do you believe that? Do you believe that he knows your thoughts before you even think them? Psalms 139 is a beautiful, beautiful chapter that some of us may need to memorize and go through this week because honestly, Satan has been destroying us. We think we're not worthy. We think that God could never use us. But God's looking at us and he's saying, I love you, I'd knit you together, I've ordained your days, I know your thoughts, I know who you are, and I love you. Do you believe that today, church? He is working things out behind the scenes to accomplish his will in your life that you have no idea about. Think the owners of the cult woke up that day thinking, we're gonna provide the mighty king of all time. A ride into Jerusalem. You think they thought that? They were probably thinking, where are we going to get our bread to eat today or something? What are we going to do with this colt? Who knows? Let your mind wonder. Maybe they're thinking, we're going to need to sell this colt so we can eat. Who, who knows what they're thinking, but God is working. He's working things out behind the scenes to accomplish his will in your life and in my life that we have no idea about. God is sovereign. He is in charge and in control of our life, though sometimes we don't know what's going on. Do you trust this, this king? Do you believe that he is sovereign, that he is working things out in your life for his will, for his purpose, and he wants to love you? I'm not sure what's going on in your life, and I'm not, 
what, sure, sure, you know, what condition you come in here today. Are you excited? Are you, are you depressed? Are you tired? Are, I'm not sure what's going on in your life. But is it possible that Jesus could turn a crucifixion, which we're about to see, is it possible that Jesus could turn this crucifixion into a resurrection and salvation? If Jesus can do that, if he can turn a crucifixion into a, a resurrection and a salvation for all mankind, he turns a bad thing into a beautiful thing, what can he do in your life? There's nothing that God can't do in your life. No matter what you're going through, no matter what the circumstances look like, God is working behind the scene, and are we trusting him? Are we loving him? Are we saying, God, here I am. Use me. Love me. I'm yours. I'm yours. Some of the hardest times in my life have been proven to be the biggest growth times in my life. How about you? Devastating times in my life is when I have grown the most, and I've realized that this life isn't about me. It's about God. It's about loving him and about loving others. I've grown more in the hardest times in my life than anything else. A good way to keep perspective about this church is to be thankful for the small things. Every little small thing. Out loud, be thankful for the small things. Some people are going to think that you're silly and you're crazy and you're losing your mind when you find a quarter in your couch and you go, God, thank you for this quarter. I can buy a piece of gum now or something. Be thankful in the small things. Psalms 107.1 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Is that an amen, church? That's an amen. And we get to Psalms 38, and we're almost done, believe it or not. Get to Psalms 38, well-ish. Let's just, let's just read verse 35 on, Okay. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on him, on the colt, they set Jesus on it. Do you th- pause. How many of you have livestock? How many of you have ever broken a horse or something? Isn't it kind of strange that this colt has never been written, and they, still, they set Jesus on it, and it didn't buck, it didn't, I mean, it just carried him? Interesting. They set on, they set on it. Verse 30, or they set Jesus on it. Verse 36, as he rode along without getting bucked, they spread their cloaks on the road. And he was drawing near, as, as, as he was drawing near. Already on the way down to Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praising God with a loud voice. You know what they're doing here in, in, in verse 38? They're, they're quoting Psalms 118, 26. It says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. This right here, this psalms right here is something that pilgrims always sang along the way to Jerusalem. A song of victory, a hymn of praise to the God who defeats all his foes and establishes his kingdom. Like this is tradition. This is what they do. But look at Psalms 118.26 says this. You know what? I would have a stand up and sing, say this. Should we? Should we stand up? Herman's like, nah, man, my kids are asleep, okay? <laughs> Carter's like, yeah, stand up. Get, 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 this, get this picture. Like his church, we're, we're singing this praise. We're saying Psalms 118, 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Like this is a victory song for pilgrims that have been traveling. But look what happens here in Luke. It varies a little, a little bit, doesn't it? what he says. 
Blessed is not the one. Blessed is the king. They're declaring it. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Like they are shouting this out. And they are so excited about who God is. How many of us, question, would miss God during this day? Like if we were in this location. We were so busy doing our work, making our, you know, I don't, I don't know. What was food of that time? I was, Whatever. Doing our, just doing our busy work, you know, and all of a sudden we hear a ruckus and a bunch of people coming by, but we're just so busy, we're missing Jesus. And how many of us do that today? We're missing God moving in the small moments. We're not thanking him for that quarter that we found, how stupid as that is. Like, we are missing Jesus every single day. Church, let's purpose not to miss Jesus. Let's be thankful for everything that he has done for us. But these people, these disciples, multitude of people are are walking and they're saying, blessed is the king. He comes. He comes. Church, God is in you. If you call on his name, he's forgiven you. He's paid all your debt. He's in you. This is a pretty cool challenge, okay? Here's your challenge. Abide in him. Abide in him. Be. Be. Calm down. He's going to work through you. He wants to love you. That's pretty reassuring, isn't it? Later on, we see here the Pharisees are saying, Hey, tell your disciples to be quiet. And Jesus says, I tell you what, you know what? Even if I did, it wouldn't matter. All creation wants to shout out in my name. All creation. That's what I've created creation to do. That's what I've created humans to do. That's what I've created this church right here to do, is to cry out to God. This is the very stones will cry out. Jesus expects to be worshipped. And he accepts worship. It's natural for these people. They've been walking with him. They believe in who he is, and they're publicly proclaiming him. They're saying, we believe him to be the Messiah. They're singing passionately. They're chanting. And I wonder for us today, as we even know the backside of the story, we know the depth of this story, I wonder, are we passionately worshiping Jesus? And I don't mean raising your hands. Some of us, that's a natural thing. Raise your hands. Some of us, it's clapping. Some of us, it's a hand thing. Some of us, it's literally just sitting there, just kind of stoic. You're worshiping like you're totally worshiping. It's not a personality type worship. I'm not talking about the outward appearance worship, okay? Because I've been in some of the most flamboyant places in the world worshiping God. I'm like, this is kind of fake and conjured up, right? But I've also been in places where I'm like, is anyone in here alive? Like, do you know this story? Like, in your heart? And I want to ask us as a church, if we're not worshiping God, I wonder if it's a heart problem that we have. We don't truly grasp the love that God has given us. We're not walking in it in this moment, and we're missing him in this moment. Church, I would say this again, wake up, realize what God has done for us, and let's worship God in this place. Whatever your personality type is, worship him in this place. Abide in him, be in him, calm with him. Sing passionately. They're worshiping him. And to kind of give you a to be continued, I'll give you one line right here. 
No one knew that amidst the cheers would come the tears. It rhymed, so I wanted to say it. No one knew that amidst, amidst the cheers would come the tears. Jesus is walking in Jerusalem, and he's celebrating for one reason that's completely different from where the reason the rest of his disciples are celebrating. They're thinking, huge victory, like tomorrow, we're going to own it. Like, this is our world. And Jesus is like, yeah, you will, but it's going to take a little longer than just tomorrow. I've given you eternal victory. Like, they don't know that the tears are about to come, but they're about to find out. Which kind of moves me into the next part of this message right here. I'm, we're done with this passage. I want to talk just for a little bit about Church Project and who we are and, and kind of what we're doing and, and what God's building right here and just kind of even the organization of, of Church Project. Like these people, as we look at this passage, they're passionately, passionately worshiping God. But yet, in just a, a, few, a little while, just read your Bible a little bit longer, we see all these people scatter. Because the hard times come. Life hits. Your daughter starts playing sports in high school and your schedule is shot. (laughs) Your work asks you to work a little longer. Whatever it may be, you have twins. Oh my goodness, Permans. (laughs) It's easy to worship God when everything's going good. It's like we're going and we're marching to Jerusalem. This is awesome. But just look a little bit later what happens. They're gone. And then we see the church getting built. And it's beautiful what happens like it's relational and it's disciples making disciples and, and it's all this stuff in church. This is what we need. It may be beautiful right now as, as we're just kind of growing and we're doing our Sunday morning feel good thing and that's awesome, wonderful, bravo. I enjoy Sunday morning. I love worshiping God together. But who's in your life that when the bad time comes can stand there with you or celebrate with you? Who are you in relationship with here? That's one of the reasons we're going to be starting this, this Men 33 series or whatever. I said it wrong too. Where's the slide? Oh, okay. It's one of the reasons we're going to be doing that is just, men, man, we need to get together and we need to just look each other in the eye and punch each other in the arm and don't punch me too hard. But we need to talk and we need to build relationships. And, and so do the women and so do the kids and the youth. Jeremy and Brittany just took the youth to the corn maze and, and Zoe said it was awesome. Like they're, they're building relationships. They're growing together in church. If we're just here on Sunday mornings, we're missing it. It's so much more than just Sunday mornings. We're missing it because right now is the cheers, but sometimes in our life is going to come the tears. Who's going to be there with you? And who are you going to celebrate with? So structurally, as, as church project, we have house churches. We do our Sunday morning gatherings. We do our house churches. We do our ministry partnerships. That's it. But I want to talk about our house churches for a minute, Okay. Our house churches is our primary vehicle for discipleship. Primary vehicle for discipleship and community at Church Project. I think we're a pretty community-driven place, which is great. But we're going to begin to get even more purposed in what we're doing and making disciples and being part of it and having community. House church is our primary context where people will be known by others. It's good to be known by others and to know other people. House church is what keeps our church and our community intimate and organic. If you're not part of house church, I think you're missing one of the greatest strengths of church. Some of you, though, you're like, my schedule's so busy, I can't go. Okay? Man, I totally get that, too. This isn't a feel bad because you can't go to house church kind of thing. So just take that, okay? This is how house church started in my life. And maybe with yours. 
I went because someone asked me like a thousand times to go, so out of obligation, I went. So I go, okay, shut up, I'll go. Then we actually liked it. We actually went to this small group in Houston, and we were still kind of in contact with people from years and years and years ago, because what was like, I'll go out of, I have to, was now I want to go, and it slowly became a priority. I slowly began to just move things aside as a family, saying, okay, we want to go to these things in church. I would say, as time goes, let's begin to make it a priority to be going to house church, to be in, in relationship with men and women, being held accountable and playing spike ball and doing fun stuff. And I mean, this is what house church is. So what I want to do is uh, I want to invite our house church pastors up here. We, we're forming a new house church this week. Um, and so we're now going to be moving to three house churches. And I'm going to ask these men and wives. Yeah, Shannon, you're like, do I come up? Yeah, sure. Come on up. I don't think Jan's here. Oh, Aaron is here. Okay. I want to introduce you to these, these men and women, and, and uh, which mic should we use, guys? This one, do I need to turn it on or anything? Here. I think, it, I want, I think it's on. I want, to, I want to introduce you to these men, and, and this week we met together, and we talked about house churches, why, how important they are, and we're like, okay, here it is. And so uh, we want to emphasize more on Sunday what house churches is and how important they are. And so the best way to do that is just let them talk, like find out their hearts, and uh, go, go ahead, guys. I will share my heart in 22 seconds. Um, our house church is much like the other house churches. It's cool. Um, I don't know. It's a, oh, my name is Jared Ashita, and this is my wife, Shannon. We, we are house church people. But uh, it's definitely a place where, um, like Aaron was saying, you come and, and you get friends. And a lot of times in life we go and you realize you don't have a lot of friends. And uh, this is a place where we get a, to become friends, and that's through a, our bond in Christ, and then also just hanging out. Um, if you aren't involved in house church, definitely get in one of these three. Um, I believe it's super important, and I believe that it's a place where you uh, come to know Christ more. Uh, we kind of go through the passage that, that we talked about the previous week, and or we talk about other stuff, and uh, or we pray for people. Um, we believe that uh, Jesus is alive, and uh, I don't know. Anyways, that's our little thing next. The 6.30 on Wednesdays, ours is in Bittersweet, and so is his, 1309 38th Avenue. Good morning. My name is Jeff Lemons, and uh, please pray for my wife. She's in nursery today. Yeah, so this will be the first Wednesday for us. We'd love to have lots of people, so don't be shy. We're pretty down to earth, and, you know, it's not that our house church is better than Ashita's, but we typically serve shrimp and steak, and I think they have (laughs) cheese in a can on crackers, so... That's a lofty promise. Yeah. Um, anyway, I just wanted to echo what Aaron said. You know, I was thinking about, you know, if you, if you're familiar with, with Paul and those, those first churches that he ministered to, and you look at what he said to them and how he knew them, 
it's it's pretty clear that those people were very much into each other's lives and building each other up spiritually. And I did a little calculating. So we meet here for about an hour on Sunday. And in how, but that's, you know, once a week. We meet in house church once a week for about an hour and a half. There's quite a few more hours there on a totally personal level where we can, um, really build into each other's lives, get to know each other. And, you know, it's so much fun to hear how God is working in your life and or what you might be struggling with, what you want people to be praying for. And as great as Sunday is, it's just really not a time for that. So I just want to encourage you to come out and let's fellowship together and learn together. Well, I didn't want to go last because Jeff is a good speaker. Um, but um, just to kind of follow along with what these guys are saying, um, you know, I've experienced firsthand the cheers and the tears. Um, so, you know, just a, just a perfect place to, to really make yourself vulnerable, um, to put yourself out there. Um, and, that, and that goes a long ways to, to really just building those relationships and, um, you know, just apart from church, just really diving into the Word and what God has called us to do. Um, my house church is better than both of theirs, so please come to mind. <laughs> is that okay to say that? Totally. Dude, he, Jeff offered shrimp, man. I mean, you say whatever you want. So mine's better. I won't have shrimp. I don't like shrimp, so mine's better anyways. But definitely better desserts. My wife is an amazing cook, so... Huh? That's just enough to go yeah. there. So, um, but yeah, please come. Uh, ours is Pheasant Run. These guys are bittersweet. Um, just choose one. We'd love to see you guys there. Um, it truly is a great place to build relationships um, and just really have fun and, and get to know one another. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you, guys. Thank you, ladies. You can do yard Do you do yard work? It's just it's just that important, um, and we wanted to let you know that these are these are the people that are leading house churches. Um, their addresses are on the website. You know, we stopped doing First Wednesday as of last week. We're going to begin to get more intentional with our house churches, and so I'd encourage you when you can go, go uh, find the addresses on the website. Um, I also want to show you just just so you know this, and I know we're a little longer, and that's okay. Um, I, I want to show you a quick little video. You know, we're a church project. We're part of a network of churches. Um, we have six churches in the network right now, which is which is incredible. And and so one of the cool things is one of the big churches down in in, in Houston, the Woodlands, has a video team. And so they made a team kind of interviewing their house church pastors. And Jason Shepard's a, a great great friend of mine. But listen to watch this little video just to emphasize a little bit more about house churches, and then and then we'll wrap up here. out of this and don't think about how can I serve someone tonight? How can I be a blessing to someone tonight? 
Uh, what I love about my house church is that even though I'm the house church pastor, is that I don't have all the answers. They recognize that, and they pour into me just as much as I pour into them. They give advice, words of wisdom that, you know, as a, as a newly married man especially, I need to hear. It's great to hear everybody's input because everybody's at a different level and a, and a different place. But the nice thing is that we're all on the same road, and we're all walking our, our faith out. We really treat house church like it's our family. So with that, you have normal family things. You know, there's, it's not always going to be rainbows and unicorns, and there's going to be sticky and nasty stuff that you have to deal with, right? But that, that's part of the deal. That's what family is. We've had a number of things occur uh, in our house church, whether it be a death in a family, and we gather around those people, and we, we figure out well, what is it that you need in some instances, it's it's just prayer. Maybe it's a meal. So we'll get a meals calendar together and we'll take care of that. And my wife and I have been on the receiving end of that. And that's, I mean, it's such a blessing. When my son was hospitalized, and I mean, pretty much everybody from our house church came to visit us and, and they were able to, to take time to pray with us and pray with us because we were going through a rough time. I'd also pray for my son who was, you know, who was uh, going through the treatment. And, and so, and that was so encouraging to see that, you know, it wasn't like they were driving to the woodlands. They were going downtown to the medical center, which is just a, you know, pretty long drive. And so that's a great commitment to know that, man, when you're in need, that you do have those people with you from house church that are willing to drive down there to be with you, to encourage you, and to also pray. The intent is to uh, build lives together. It is to take people who are in a certain geographic area and say, we want you in community. In the last four years, a church project has you know, grown crazy amounts. What has kept this feeling small has been the house, the house churches, just because you know, I come and I see all these people, but then I realize that's a friend, that's a friend, that's somebody I know, that's somebody who genuinely cares about me. That's people that I know, I know their, their names, I know their kids' names, I know you know, what they've, what they're struggling with. They know what I'm struggling with. And that's not just one or two here or there. These are people that I've bonded with through the years because of house church. Well, I think everybody has a part to play and everybody uh, has a, some insight. And it's all about all of us sharing and all of us sharing in that experience together. You know, it's not just for the adults, but it's for the children. It's for the youth. Um, and I love the fact that uh, there's just a broad range of ages. Everyone that comes here needs to be in house church. And that means a lot of us have a lot of work to do. And that means getting out of our comfort zone and opening up our heart and opening up our home so that what you're experiencing and what, what you love about the community that you're experiencing, give those people that aren't in house church today that opportunity. I think I counted the other night, we have 17 adults and 23 kids. I can't take care of all those people on my own.